Welcome, my name is Craig Mowry. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. If you're online, welcome to you. And also uh, in New Milford, in the Valley, and in Waterbury. It's, it's good to be worshiping together today. Um, I said to Adam before I came up here, if, if I can't share the, the word of God after that worship, then I've got a problem. Because isn't it good to just worship together? I just, I can sense that you were enjoying it this, this morning too. It's, it's, it's not just the fact that we're worshiping the God of the universe, which is awesome, but we're doing it together in community. So we're so thankful for that. If you're at, at home, I hope you caught a, a sense of that this morning, the, the worship of the true God together in community. It's great to be here. We are, I'm continuing today in our, our sermon series, Jesus Is. And we, as you remember, our theme this year is, I'll say simply the word Jesus, but when I say simply, I don't think that's really appropriate because Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus is so incredibly powerful, the most powerful name that ever was and ever will be, amen? So it's gonna be exciting to look through the book of Matthew this, this year primarily and really get to know who this Jesus is. And today we're looking at the topic of Jesus is greater, if you didn't see last Sunday's sermon, if you weren't able to attend or if you missed it online, I really want to encourage you to go back to that sermon because it kicked off this whole theme year. And Brian did a great job of doing that. He preached out of Matthew 17, the transfiguration story. You remember that story? Jesus takes three of his disciples up to this high place and they meet together. And Jesus is transfigured in front of their very eyes and this, this powerful encounter one of the things that really stuck out to me about what Brian said last week is that they were bowed down, but Jesus came to them and touched them and had them look up, and they only saw him. There was this beautiful sense of a relationship, connectedness that they had with him, and this great calling, this personal touch from Jesus. And Brian challenged us with five commitments. I want to just remind us of them. These are in a plural form because they're for us as a church community, for us as individuals, yes, but also for us as a church. And here they are. We will follow Jesus. We'll commit to radically obey him, say yes to him. We will seek Jesus. That could be through your first 20, your group life, whatever you might be doing to seek and know Jesus better. We will listen to Jesus. And I hope that each of us learns to listen to Jesus this year in a greater way. We will receive from Jesus. And we, I, we don't know where you are today, but more than likely, I'll... Each of us needs to receive something from Jesus today and every day. And we will worship Jesus, and we've done that already today. We've worshiped him. It's been good to worship in the presence of the Lord. Today we're backtracking in scripture a little bit from Matthew 17 to Matthew 3. And this is the story of John the Baptist and his preparation for the coming of Christ and Jesus' earthly ministry. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 3, we're going to be spending time there. I'll be jumping around a bit, but we'll, that's the main passage, really the whole chapter, Matthew 3. But before we do that, I just want to tell you this, a story that I hope will give a little context to what I think was going on in Israel at that time. Because there was, this, there was a great sense of expectation in Israel when John the Baptist came on the scene. A few years back, um, I, I, I hurt my back. And um, at first, I thought it was just sort of a normal hurt. <laughs> uh, growing up playing sports, you know, you, you kind of learn that you have, if you have an injury, if you do certain things, you know, you're going to come back. Well, I'm, of course, I'm not 25 anymore, and I kind of forgot that in the process. But it was, that wasn't happening in this situation. 
It was painful, and it, I thought it would go back to normal, but the opposite happened. It was getting worse and worse. So I decided, well, I'm going to get some help. I went to physical therapy. Again, I thought, you know, I'll do the work, and it's going to come back. Not the case. I started having this constant sciatic pain nerve down my left leg. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't move without pain. I was trying to gut it out, but it was miserable. It was just, frankly, miserable. I even started to lose some sensation in my left foot. And you may be saying, Craig, you are an idiot. Why did you not pursue some more help faster than what you did? You shouldn't be losing feeling in your foot. But I, I just was stubborn. I wanted, to, I wanted to just get it fixed and work at it and get it fixed, but it wasn't happening. I, was, I got to the point where I was desperate for relief, just desperate for relief. So finally, I had an MRI and surgery was scheduled because I had a herniated disc in my back. That's what was causing all that pain. And to make a long story short, when I walked out of that surgical center, having had that, that, um, that surgery, the pain that I walked in with was gone. It was, it was sweet relief. I mean, the pain of the surgery was nothing compared to what I walked in with. Some of you are nodding your heads. You've been there. You know this experience. I think Israel had that kind of anticipation, desperate need for relief, desperate need for change. They were so desperate, they were willing to do whatever it took to experience that. There is desperation for the Messiah to come, this long-awaited promised king in the line of David to come and initiate freedom from and power over the Roman oppressors. They were desperate for that relief. Enter John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes in on the scene. He's born to the priest Zechariah and his mother Elizabeth, both of whom were descendants of Aaron. This, was, this would not have been lost on the Israelite people. And who were the, who's Aaron? Well, he's the first high priest from the tribe of Levi, which were, was the priestly tribe. And he was not just born in some ordinary way. He was born in a miraculous way. The angel Gabriel came to Zechariah when he was serving as a priest, and he said, your prayers have been answered, your, your wife is pregnant, she's going to have a child. And they, they couldn't have children, they had had no ch children before, and they were older, they should have been able to anyway, and yet the Lord did this miraculous thing. Now, think again, now we have the grown-up John the Baptist on the scene. This story would have been known by the people of that region, because it was a miracle. It would have been talked about. Zechariah and Elizabeth were kind of famous because of what had happened. So here comes John the Baptist. And here's what it says about John the Baptist even before he was born. We find this in Luke 1, 14 to 17. Just listen to these words. This is the, the prophetic words over John the Baptist that came from the angel Gabriel. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Wow. Can you imagine hearing that about the child that you were about ready to give birth to? What an amazing promise. See, John was, he was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. And his words and his actions were anointed by the Holy Spirit. John looked like a prophet. He spoke like a prophet. 
He lived like a prophet. He dressed like a prophet. He ate like a prophet. Locusts and wild honey. We won't go into that detail. It doesn't sound too appetizing, but he did it for a purpose. And finally, he prophesied like a prophet. Just like the anointing that Elijah had on him, so too John had this powerful anointing on him, and it was recognized. And don't allow yourself to think of the prophets as these sort of wild-haired, aloof people who didn't know what they were doing. No, listen, if they were filled fully with the Holy Spirit, then they were filled with the strategy from the Holy Spirit. They knew what they were doing. John wasn't a wild-haired guy that we sometimes see in the Jesus films. Now, I think, he was, I think he was passionate and powerful in his words, and it may have come across in a certain way to those who are listening, but no, he was strategic. He, he looked like a prophet. He acted like a prophet. He did all these things for a reason, because he knew that he was coming in the line of Elijah to what? Prepare the way for the coming Lord Jesus Christ. He was hearing from God because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, unlike anyone before him in the last 400 years. Incredible moment in the history of Israel. This is what Jesus would later say about John. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. All who have ever lived, of, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So what made John so great? We can learn something about the kind of greatness that John had. We could emulate some of the things that John uh, really uh, lived out in his life. There's much for us to learn in John's life. So I want to just share a couple of things about John the Baptist before I talk about why Jesus is even greater than someone like John the Baptist. First of all, as I mentioned, he's the, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. Have you ever thought of it that way? He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He comes in the line of Elijah, Isaiah, Malachi. Malachi had been the last Old Testament prophet before John came, and he was alive over 400 years before John. He was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. Luke 1.41, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit was unique in those days. Don't forget this. This is so important. Jesus was the one who ushered in this era we live in today where the Holy Spirit is available to all of us. That's not the case in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come at different moments, at different times, and sometimes the Holy Spirit would fall on someone for a lifetime. And John was one of those special few that had that experience of the Holy Spirit day in and day out, even from before he was born. John was also humble. Man, was he humble. We have so much to learn from John when it comes to his humility because he was famous, friends. The whole region of Judea was coming out to the desert to see him. Not, have you been to Israel? If you haven't, come with me some year. We, we, just, we go in June each year. I want you to come with us to Israel because you need to see what it would have been like to go to the desert. No easy task. No easy task at all. Why were they coming to him in the desert? Because he was famous, because what he was doing, what he was saying was so powerful. They wanted to get a taste of it. They wanted to understand what it was. They wanted to anticipate what was coming. They were excited. They were desperate for change. They were desperate for that Messiah to come. But John, John somehow was able to find a humility even in that fame. He says in John 3.30, he, as 
that is Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is when his own disciples were saying, John, why are you, why are you not still in the spotlight? That's John's answer. Matthew 3:11, from this passage that we're in today, he, John says, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. Reminds me of Paul's statements throughout his letters where he says, you know, I'm the worst of all sinners. I've got nothing to offer. Even though I have a pedigree, I've got nothing to offer. It's the same kind of humility. Incredible. John also baptized. He was known as the baptizer. John the Baptist, John the baptizer. But he says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. John was calling people back to obedience to God in a very radical way. And I want to pause just for a second and talk about the baptism that we're seeing here. Because the Jews would have been familiar with baptism. Except baptism in that day was for Gentiles who were leaving behind their sinful ways and turning to Judaism. If you go to Israel, you'll see all these things called mikvah. They're ritual cleansing pools but they were self-administered ritual cleansing pools. So you would, before you went to do something, sort of a holy ritual, you would go through these as a symbolism of saying, hey, I'm being cleansed before I go and maybe sacrifice to the Lord. They understood these two, two different things. So why was, why was John administering baptism to Jews? This was a radical thing that he was doing. Why was it for them? Well, it's because he's saying to them, you need to have heart change. It's not about going through the motions of going through the mikvah so that you can feel right about going and doing something before the Lord. No, your hearts have to change. You remember what he says to the Sadducees and the religious teachers, the Pharisees? He, said, he calls them brood of vipers because he, he's so frustrated with the fact that they want to come out and kind of be a part of the action, but they don't want to get their hearts right with the Lord. And so as John administers baptism, he's saying, religiousness is not enough. Your pedigree's not good enough. Being a good person isn't enough. Only heartfelt repentance brings true spiritual life. And so you have to receive that from the Lord. And as I baptize you, you, you it's an it's a image of receiving that from the Lord. You can't just get it yourself. God has to provide. John was also great because he had the privilege of preparing the way of the Messiah. What a privilege it was. Can you imagine that privilege? He was the voice to usher in the new kingdom. But why is Jesus greater? And he is. Maybe we think this is an easy, these are easy answers, and, and, and perhaps they are, but I want to re remind us of why is Jesus so great? The first is this, Jesus is the author of creation. You know, we sang in our worship songs today so many of the things I'm about ready to tell you, and this was one of the ones we sang, and actually Becca prayed it in her prayer. Here we get to serve the author of creation, and where do I get that from the passage? In this passage, the, the spirit descends on Jesus like what? A dove, like a dove. And I think that points to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one, together, even pointing back to the act of God in creation. See, we can't forget that Jesus didn't just show up on the scene about 2,000 or so years ago in, uh, in Bethlehem being born to Mary. No, he was, 
He is, and he is to come. Jesus is part of the triune Godhead. He was there in the beginning. He is the author of creation. He is the omnipotent God, the creator God, the one who laid down his godness, read Philippians 2, and he was born. He was raised by parents. He learned a trade. He probably smashed a finger or two doing that trade. He walked and he talked and he ate with people and he felt sick sometimes. He didn't always smell perfect. He felt real feelings and he had real struggles. He was a real man. And at the same time, he was the creator of the universe. So I wanna just tell you to do this today. When you walk outside, just remember that you serve this great God. As you look around and you just see, it's a beautiful day, see the wonder of creation. He's so creative, he's so powerful, and at the same time, he's personally invested in you. That's why he's greater, he's the author of creation. Secondly, he is the king of kings. John was great because he had the privilege of ushering in and proclaiming that the coming king was on his way. But Jesus was and is the king. His birth, his life, his death and resurrection initiated this new kingdom that we are now a part of right now. It's what we call the already but not yet kingdom. We live in the light of redemption. We know that it's coming and we see it around us in little ways. When someone gives their life to Jesus, they surrender their own self for, the, for the Lord Jesus to take and run and rule their lives, that's a little bit of redemption happening, happening right there. When we see a miracle in our midst, something that only God can do, that's seeing a little bit of the redemption that's coming, the full redemption that's coming down the road. But we also wait because the fulfillment comes when Christ comes again and he brings it all together. He redeems the world. He redeems all of us who have surrendered his, our lives to him. He's the king of kings. He's greater as well because he is the savior of the world. John tells us that we need a savior, doesn't he? Very clearly, we need a savior. Even the act of baptism is representative of, you can't do this on your own, you need a savior. Jesus came to take the sins of the world on himself and offer only, in a way that only he could, forgiveness from what we really deserve in life. And what is it that we deserve? I mean. We know what we deserve. We deserve the wrath that God would have for the sinners, those who deny Christ, deny him, deny the Lord, and turn our backs on God. We deserve what sinners deserve. But Jesus comes and replaces our lives with his own. Praise the Lord for that. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He brings righteousness, which is just simply right standing that we get to have before God. He brings that righteousness into our lives. It only comes through Jesus. I'm gonna come back to that in a moment, so think, keep that in your mind. But then thirdly, or fourthly, he gives his spirit. He's greater because he gives his spirit. John was full of the spirit, as I've said, and he imagined a day when the spirit would be available to all. He actually quoted many uh, Old Testament verses from the prophets, that looked forward to a day when all of us would have the availability of the Spirit in our lives. Well, he proclaimed that, but Jesus initiated it. That's what makes him so great. His baptism was a prophetic act of submission. 
We know that Jesus didn't have to be baptized for the redemption of, or, or for the forgiveness of sins because he was sinless. So why was he baptized? Well, he, he's, he's, he's giving this prophetic act of where he is going, what his final mission is on this planet. What does he call the cross? A baptism. He's going to that cross. What does he call when the spirit comes and falls on people? A baptism. This theme runs through the giving of his spirit that he's gonna to give to us at the day of Pentecost. And it starts right in this chapter, chapter three of Matthew. Listen to the, to the Pentecost account for a second. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. See, John baptized with water. That's what he says about himself. I baptize with water, but someone is coming who's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And here we have the fulfillment of that, that Spirit and fire experience at Pentecost. When he, the Lord gives us the, one of the greatest of gifts, his spirit to rule and reign in our lives, to help us to be transformed into who he wants us to become, to do the work of his kingdom that we could never do on our own. But when the spirit comes, we're, we're filled and enabled to be his, his, work, his workers and have an impact in our communities, in our kingdom, in his kingdom. Finally, what makes him greater? He makes us his children. What a great gift. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Sons and daughters adopted into a family that your goodness couldn't, couldn't achieve, but Jesus' work achieved. The words from heaven at his baptism and at the transfiguration to tie those two together is, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And if Jesus is the son of God, he brings us into family relation, familiar relationships with him and with God the Father. John 1.12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I think some of you need to hear that today. I think there's many of you who think that you're not good enough to be a child of God. You know, that's not a bad thought. It's, it's true, you're not. None of, us is, none of us is, because none of us is good enough. None of us is perfect, but... We're still wanted by God. We're still wanted by the Lord Jesus so much that he, had, he brings us in despite our failings, despite our uh, not measuring up. That's how good our God is. He makes us his children. So what, what must we do in light of this great Christ that we have in our lives? The first is, thing we have to do is we have to say yes to Jesus. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going back to some of the things we talked about last week. Surrender your life to him. Don't be like the teachers of the law in Jesus' day who thought they were the righteous because of what they did or what their parents had given them just in their pedigree. You know, have, you ever walked, have you ever had a conversation with someone where they said, well, I'm a good person. You know, at least I've kind of got that going for me. I've got, I'm a good person. I'm sure, I'm sure God will love me because I'm a good person. That's what they're implying. And if you're like me, you're thinking in your mind, hopefully you don't say it out loud, you say, compared to what standard are you a good person? Because the biblical standard is perfection. 
We're going to get to that in the book of Matthew. Be perfect. As our Father in heaven is perfect. And we think, how is that possible? Well, of course it's not possible. Jesus, in saying that, is pointing to himself. You're not perfect, I'm perfect. Rely on me. Surrender to me. Rely on my perfection. The life I lived is the perfect life that you can't live. Just surrender to Jesus. He was the one who lived that perfect life that you could never live. He was the one who died without sin. You could never die without sin apart from him. He's the one who leads to forgiveness from sin. He's the one who leads to righteousness, right standing in the, in the face of the Lord. He's the one. That's the first step. That's what I want to encourage each of you, whether you're online, in a campus, here, right in person. Surrender to Jesus. Say yes to him. Secondly, seek Jesus. Get to know him. Just a few questions I want you to think about, contemplate for a second. I ask these questions because I think they will get to the bottom of, am I seeking Jesus deeply? First is this. Can you say that you love Jesus? I know there was a time in my own life where that felt awkward. Even when we sang it in worship, I love you, Lord, what does that, what does that really mean? But I want to tell you that as, as you get to know Jesus, it, it becomes more and more natural to say, I love you, Lord. Can you say that to the Lord? If you can't, I want to encourage you to get to know him better this year. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he loves you? Are you struggling with being lovable by the Lord? He loves you. He loves you. I don't know how to say it other than he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Have you seen Jesus answer prayer? Have you ever seen Jesus answer prayer? I ask that question because the more you get to know him, the more time you spend with him, the more you're going to ask him to do things in your life, to do things for others, and you're going to start to align with what the Lord wants in your prayers, and you're going to see God moving, and it's going to be exciting. Have you seen Jesus answer prayer? Have you been challenged by Jesus as you read his word or seek him in prayer? You could be. You can be. I want to encourage you to seek Jesus. Serve Jesus. What are you waiting for to really serve Jesus, to really serve the Lord? We have a missions partner that really, really inspires me in this area. Often makes me feel a little inadequate and gets me going. It's, uh, it's Genny and Sony Begu, our friends from Albania. I got the privilege of spending time with them in Albania in this, this past year. And they came to Israel with us in June. The whole family it was such a wonderful time together. They have been uh, planting churches and supporting churches in Albania and Kosovo for a couple of decades now. And recently, they sensed the Lord calling, a new, uh, calling them into a new mission. That mission was to go into Macedonia, which is just over the border from where they live in Tirana, Albania, into a region that is primarily ethnic Albanian. If you know anything about the Balkan conflict over the years, you'll understand why. The, the borders have changed many, many times. And these ethnic Albanian communities, in many cases, have not a single Christian witness, not a church, not a small group, not a single Christian in those communities. We can't even imagine that, can we? But I went to one of these communi communities with Gany and Sonny and experienced it for myself. So this year, they sensed the Lord saying, we want you, now that you have 
done all the things you've done, you have the experience that you have, we want you to go and be a send, start a sending organization in a little town called Struga, Macedonia, and, be, and help to send people into these places where the gospel has not been heard. That's exciting, right? I tell you all the time, we, we, we are partnered with the best. This is awesome ministry we get to be a part of. So I went to Struga with them, and I got, the, I got to see what they were thinking. Guess what? This is just months ago. We were in Israel together. We were praying about it. Their, two of their three older kids said to them, what are you waiting for, mom and dad? It's time to go. By the way, those two older kids have to stay in Tirana, Albania, without their parents. And they were the ones, teenagers, were saying, what are you waiting for? Guess where they are right now? They're in Struga. They found a place to begin to start this mission-sending ministry. They are those, they're the kind of people who say, what are we waiting for? We have a limited time. What are we waiting for? And they get on with it. Friends, we can learn something from that kind of excitement because I, what you see in, in them is they hear from the Lord, they, they pray. They get the mission, they get the download, the strategy from the Lord, and then they go. And sometimes they go and get the strategy while they're going. I love that because sometimes I, I take too much time over strategizing and I don't just get on with it. Sometimes we have to do that. So friends, I want to come, draw us to a close here. Jesus, Jesus is greater than the things or situations or people that keep us from saying yes to him or from seeking him or from serving him. Let me say that again. Jesus, Jesus is greater than the things or the situations or the people that keep us from saying yes to him, to seeking him, and to serving him. And our hope this year, our prayer this year, is that you discover Jesus, maybe for the first time, if you have never discovered him. I hope it's today. I hope you turn to him and surrender to him today, if you've been on that fence. I pray you get off of that fence and meet him today. But then for many of us who have known him for a long time, or we've been, we've been in this journey even for a short time, I pray you will meet him in a more deep way, in a more vibrant way than you ever have before. Just close with a story. In November, actually this is kind of more of a true confession, so uh, get, get ready. <laughs> Last November, I had a little bit of time. You know, it was during the Thanksgiving break, my kids were off for sports, we were all home, and I got excited about ripping out one of our bathrooms, the master bathroom, you know, connected to my, my wife and my room. And so I got the boys, I said, come on boys, let's rip this bathroom out. And you know, we were excited, and don't worry, it wasn't one of, it's not a plumbing disaster, it's not that, but we ripped this bathroom out, um, you know, literally throwing out the debris out the window, and, you know, we were on our way. It was exciting. The bathroom was, it was getting started. The old was gone, and the old was not good. It was pink, it was ugly, it was old, and we could feel the new was coming. So I was working on that bathroom two days ago, <laughs> and I'd like to tell you, it's a long way off from that day in November, but I can't. Here's, here, here's what happened. There was a lot of excitement, but there wasn't much strategy. There wasn't much plan to get going, and there wasn't a whole lot of execution. If you want to have a more vibrant and deeper relationship with Jesus, what are you willing to do about it? What needs to change in your life? It's not just gonna happen. God will do things 
to you and through you sort of by accident sometimes. But I think he wants us to execute this year. I think he wants us to step out and make some changes, be willing to get a little more radical in our, our, our obedience to Jesus. See, Jesus can always, always be counted on to do his part. But he wants us to step up and move in and take risks and, and actually listen and respond and go and do what he has for us. You'll need a plan. You'll need a community. And you'll need perseverance. You'll need a plan. Where's your, who is, where's your group life? Who's, who's holding you accountable? Do you have a crew? Are you in a men's ministry or a women's ministry or a community group or something, a place where you know that someone's gonna help you execute that plan? If you don't, I'm telling you, you're gonna come to the end of the year, you could so, so easily come to the end of the year and say, I'm just, I'm just where I was at the same time last year. None of us wants that, I don't believe. What are we willing to do? How are we gonna execute? You need a plan. You need a community. You need perseverance. And funny, it sounds kind of like what Amy's been saying to me about my bathroom. <laughs> the difference between that, though, and the investment of time and energy in a relationship with Jesus is massively different. We can live without a bathroom. We can't live without Jesus. We can't live without the Lord moving and changing us. So, friends, that's what I want to challenge you to. Have a, I pray that you have a wonderful week this week but that you go home and feel a little convicted about putting together that plan of execution of what it's gonna look like this year to really go further with the Lord, to know him better, to serve him well, to be changed and transformed by him, to be used by him. I pray this in Jesus' name.